0: Wouldn't it be great if you could earn the CEUs you need by listening to a podcast? Well, now you can. We have partnered with SpeechPathology.com to offer CEUs on select autism outreach podcasts like this one. Just head over to SpeechPathology.com and sign up to enjoy unlimited access for a full year for $99. That's unlimited 24-7 access to hundreds of online courses offered for ASHA CEUs. CEUs, including live webinars, on-demand videos, audio, and text courses. Plus, select Autism Outreach Podcast for just $99 a year. Finally, earning CEUs is as easy and stress-free as listening to your favorite podcast. Just visit speechpathology.com and use promo code autism at checkout. That's speechpathology.com, promo code autism to get started today. Welcome to episode 61 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. I will never forget 10 years ago when my special education director said we would like you to start working at the middle school and high school level for your speech therapy students. I had never really worked with students in that age group and... I was a little nervous. Today, I'm going to share with you all my tips and strategies about being a middle school and high school speech therapist and how you can support your autistic learners at this age group. So this will be a great episode for anyone who is supporting autistic learners and their communication at this age range. Let's get started with this episode. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Welcome to Episode 61 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. I am excited to share with you today Tips and strategies that you can use to support your middle school and high school autistic learners. I have been working with this age group for the past 10 years. And if you're new to my page or don't know exactly what I've been doing on my journey as an SLP, until I started ABA Speech, I divided my time between a public school and a non public program for students with autism. And when I started ABA Speech, I just got too busy. And I couldn't do all the things anymore. And so I had to stop working at the non-public program, but I continued to work three days a week as a middle school and high school SLP. I love working with that age group because it's just so very functional. It's so very close to real life. We're getting the kids ready for working and for being an adult. And I've always really loved that Age group. What's really cool, just from a speech therapy standpoint, is that in my private practice, I do work with preschool age students. And so that is a real joy to be able to help students across the lifespan because I really love working with learners of all ages. But today, what I want to focus on is working with older students. I feel like there is not a lot of information out there about this age group. And so I'm excited to share. I'm in a part of a Facebook group that is for middle school and high school speech therapists. And I really love that group. I'm also part of a Facebook group that's about transition and vocational. More teachers, but I really love that group too. And I also had um, Chris Winger on the podcast. You may know him as Speech Dude if you're a speech therapist. He is big on all social media and um, is just a bright spot in the field. But he works with high school students, I believe. So anytime I meet somebody that also works (laughs) with middle school and high school students, I feel like there's an instant bond because there's just not a lot of information that's readily available. And so I really, over the past 10 years especially, have dedicated a lot of my energy into creating products that are helpful for students at this age. And I'll tell you a little bit about those. But what I wanted to do today is share my 10 top tips and strategies for being a middle school and high school speech therapist. So this will be helpful if you're a speech therapist. This will be helpful information if you're a teacher or coming from the behavioral field as well. I just want to share some things that I like to keep top of mind that have helped me navigate helping learners at this age range. So I am going to share my top 10 tips and strategies. The first thing that's so most important is to build a rapport with your students. Now when I started working with this age group as my primary caseload, I was I had some students that were moving up to the middle school. I think that's how it all started. And so I was moving up to the middle school and then eventually the middle school and high school to support these learners. So for me, my existing caseload, it was easy because I already knew these students. But, you know, building rapport with middle school and high school students, especially when you're new to the building, can be difficult. And especially as a school-based therapist because even though I talk strictly about autism, usually on all of my social media platforms. When I'm a public school th- speech therapist, I'm serving students that have an array of communication uh, disabilities. And so that's how they qualify for services in the school. And so I might be seeing a student who maybe has a couple of little social concerns. I may be seeing a student who stutters. I might be seeing a student who has selective mutism. So my caseload, is very, very broad. I only talk about autism on social media for the most part. Sometimes I talk about being a speech therapist and sometimes I talk about being a BCBA, but I try to have that one path of the main way that I can help support you is helping your autistic students. So most of the things I'll be saying today do have to do with supporting autistic learners, but some of these are just great if you're getting and dipping a toe into working with older students. So building a rapport is really really important and this might not just be something that happens overnight because if you can think back to how you were in middle school or I think back to how I was in middle school I remember my social studies teacher called my mom and said and I knew it was him on the phone Mr. Beam from higher middle school as I went to middle school um, Mr. beam called and told my mom that I hadn't attitude problem. And I knew it was him because I really did not get along with this teacher. So what I'm saying is building a rapport with students at this age range could be a little bit difficult. So if it's something that's more of a journey for you, and maybe you have a student right now that is not receptive to coming to speech, just thinking about why that might be, how you can kind of change the environment, what does your student love and enjoy and how can you incorporate those things into your sessions? Those are all going to be really, really important. And it's going to be so different for every single student. So my number one strategy is build rapport uh, with your students. Because if we don't have that, especially at this older age, you know, we're just not going to be able to work on anything um, that's going to help to support the student's communication. So build that rapport. Number two is analyzing your service delivery options. As speech therapists, we have a lot of different service delivery options. And I have learned over the past 10 years of servicing older students that my students have such an array of needs. And I'm going to give you just some examples of what some of my IEPs say for service delivery. So I have some students, you know, I do want to preface it with I work in a very supportive district. And so I do have a very, uh, I have a reasonable caseload. So I am able to see students in a way that I think really supports and serves them. And I do have support from administration to do so. So I do want to preface it with that. If you are working somewhere and you really are bombarded on your caseload, I understand that there are some environmental barriers, but I do want to preface it with that. But I do want us to think about, you know some students may really benefit from a one-on-one, one-on-one setting. I do have some students with high support needs and I do see a couple students one-to-one. So some students I see in my therapy office, I do have a therapy office. Um, and some students I go into the classroom And I work with them in the classroom one-to-one, which is nice because then I can build a rapport with the paraprofessionals that are in the classroom. And when I was working in a non-public program, I could build rapport with the RBTs, registered behavioral technicians, one-on-one support staff. And that's really important because a lot of the times those members of the team are supporting my communication goals on days the student doesn't have therapy. Other ways that I see students, small group in my therapy office, not so much with COVID anymore. I try not to do that just from a safety standpoint because my school district has been back in person since COVID essentially started. Small group in the classroom. I go into the classroom. Group therapy is my absolute jam. It has been for 20 years. And um, the district that I work in now has smart boards. So I really love to use... Different materials that I've created usually on my TPT store. I create stuff because I need it for my caseload. So, my adapted books and vocational binder and all those great things I pull right up on the smart board. I really love that. Some students I see in the larger school environment. So, I may see one student in my therapy office for a portion of their time each month, and I may go into the classroom to see how they're applying skills, or I may observe them at lunch or during their gym to see if they're applying what we've discussed in our small speech therapy lessons. I have delivered services by co-treating with an occupational therapist. That was really a bright spot for me. And we, it was like about a year or two we did this. It was a vocational group. And so I would plan uh, vocabulary lessons and about vocational vocabulary. And then we would practice vocational skills, which was great because we were touching on all the OT goals And then we would end the session with a leisure goal, which you know how much I love modified leisure. So things like yoga, lifting weights, it was great. I've also co-treated with a resource teacher. So these are teachers who are providing academic and behavioral support really across a student's day. So I've gone into these smaller groups and we've talked about vocabulary. We've talked about pre-teaching vocabulary. We've talked about just general learner engagement types of goals for students that are really kind of struggling academically, and it's spilling into them having some behavioral challenges throughout their day. I've also gone to, at the high school level, a lot of my students divide their time between academic instruction at the school and also this really amazing vocational consortium that my district uses. And some of the students will go off-site to this school and they'll learn job skills. And then once they're learning the job skills, they'll actually get placed into a job setting in the community. So I'll visit them on their job site. I'll visit them out in the community. And their services may really differ. You know, They may be just once a month. They may be quarterly. A part of my job at the high school is really consulting with the team, which is nice because I do work in a smaller district. So a lot of these students I have known, their entire educational career, uh, you know, like from middle school beyond. So I can help with that transition piece, which may not always be the case, but that is kind of a plus of working in a smaller district currently. I definitely serve as a consult for some students and making sure to touch base with the team of teachers, which that can be such a barrier. At the middle school that I work at, the teachers meet all as a grade level team. So I'll go into team to talk about different communication needs. At the high school teachers meet as a department, so it's all the English teachers meet, all the history teachers meet. So that can be a little bit harder for me. Sometimes I'm communicating via email. Sometimes I'm bebopping to the rooms at the beginning or the end of the day. But I always try to touch base to let people know I'm a part of the team. I'm here to support communication. And it can just get trickier as the student gets older because there's so many different players on the team. The teams get much, much bigger as far as different providers. And so that's actually my third strategy. So number one, build rapport. Number two, analyze your service delivery because there's a lot of options out there. Think outside the box for your students. And number three is know who is on the team. So there are a lot of different outside providers. So I have some students who I have some students who are getting outside uh, ABA services. And so I might be consulting with a BCBA. There I have some students who might be getting outside speech therapy services. So I consult with them. I have some provider, I have some students who have advocates on the team. So they might be a part of the meetings. And then as my students progress into eighth grade and high school, there are going to be adult service providers there. There are going to be vocational coordinators there. And so I try to make sure I just know everybody who's on the team which may seem easy. But as your students get older, there's going to be a lot of different choices because as a student turns 14, we know that by law, we need to have that transition piece on their IEP. And so that usually means that different providers are going to be talking to parents and the student about different options and about different tracks once they get into high school. Number four is to focus on independence. Boy, this is a big one. It's going to look different for different learners. So, you know, I have one student who, well, a couple students who, you know, I do spe- see in my speech therapy room, and we work on their independence by just navigating the school environment independently. So I may have the student, you know, come to speech therapy, and then I may walk them back part of the way to speech, uh, back to their classroom rather. And then their independence is kind of navigating through the school environment on their own. I mean, I'm there. And they're going right to their teacher. But I want them to feel that independence because they are getting older. For some other students, that independence might work, be working on self advocacy skills. And I actually just had, let me think, no, this person's episode is going to air later in the, uh, later next month. But I did have an autistic adult on recently. Who you may all know, I'm really excited about that episode, but I don't want to drop the name yet. And he talked about how just advocating for himself as an adult, he was diagnosed, you know, in his 50s with having autism, and he just said being able to advocate for himself has really helped him feel empowered. And I thought, "Wow." And I told him. I said, "Wow, that really makes me feel good because I always work with my students on self-advocacy." So for my students who are able to let their team of teachers know that maybe they need a mask break, or maybe they need just a break to walk around the the room. These things will be written into their IEP. But for our students to tell their teachers, either by writing, I have some students who it's sometimes they're writing, sometimes they're verbalizing, sometimes they're using a device. But being able to advocate for what they need to manage throughout the day Is something that we always work on. So, that independence is going to look different for different learners, but it's always something in the back of my mind that I'm thinking of. Because when I start working with students in middle school, I am thinking about them being an adult. I am thinking about me seeing them in the community, out and about, and do they have a job? How are they communicating? Are they able to have leisure skills? Are they happy? Are they independently communicating and advocating for themselves? And that work all starts in our therapy rooms, and our IEP meetings. So number four, focus on independence. Number five is to think about creating shared goals. So I work really collaboratively with the classroom teachers that I work with. So resource teachers and also with more self-contained teachers, as you may call that students with more high support needs. And so I have really gotten into the habit over the past probably 5 to 10 years of writing a shared goal. So I may have some individual goals and the teacher is going to have some individual goals, but we may have these shared goals. Because we know that when we work together collaboratively and have a more narrow focus, that we can really help our students make so much more progress and help them become independent communicators, which is always my vision for my students. So creating shared goals, what it might look like is some examples. I have students who may have a vocational goal. And so I may help the teacher develop that goal. I may support that goal as well. And I may support that through... Communication in vocation. So you know, is the student able to ask people in the community for help if they need it with a job? Is the student able to say that they're done with that job and that they need more work? Different things that they're going to need, need to do in the real life vocational setting, we start to set goals on that together now. Another area that I've set goals that are shared goals are leisure goals. So leisure goals, I talk about a lot because I think they're so very important to our students' overall happiness and joy and communication across the lifespan. And so um, I've worked with teachers before where we've set a leisure goal. And so it might be the student is going to engage in a game or some type of cooperative activity. So that could be yoga. That could be modified Uno. That could be something of that nature. and I do it when i'm in therapy with the student in group and the teacher may run that once or twice a week in a leisure block that they have in their classroom number 6 analyze the function of your goals why are these important across the lifespan i remember being a 23 year old maybe 24 year old speech therapist I was working at the Cleveland Clinic and it was a specialized program for autistic learners. And I remember having special education directors come to our meetings and they scared me at the time because they were asking really important questions like, why are you working on this? And why is this important? Um, And here I was 23, 24, just out of graduate school feeling extremely nervous. But I think those meetings made me feel really confident now, 20 years later, about my why. About why I want to work on stuff. Because even 20 years later, you know, I will be in meetings with lawyers, advocates, people outside providers um, who may be asking me why I'm working on something and how did we come to this as a goal. And so you have to really start to feel confident with describing your why and what your vision is and what your scope and sequence is for your goals. If you don't truly understand why you picked that goal, If you don't truly understand how that's functional for your student across the lifespan, that's okay. But it just means that it's something to dialogue with. You know, I have some resources at ABA Speech. I'm going to give you a link in the show notes. That is my email. You can definitely sign up for a discovery call, which is just a 15-minute call um, with me if you have questions, because I feel like there's just not a lot of info out there. And something that I would love to do down the line is to create a course that would be geared towards students who are in middle school and high school. So we'll see. You guys let me know if you think that would be helpful. All right. So number six, analyze why you're working on what you're working on. Super important. Number seven, consider working on communication as it relates to vocation and leisure. So vocation and leisure are something that are super important as we get older. I mean, I always analyze my own life and I think, okay, I have my job. I have my business, ABA speech. I spend time with my family. I like to jog on my treadmill, go shopping. Like These are the things, do TikToks, you know, if you're following me. These are the things that I like to do for leisure. And I want to make sure that my students feel really comfortable communicating In those same realms of what is going to comprise their life. Usually, we have some type of competitive employment that we want our students to have, and I want them to feel comfortable communicating in that area. And then we also have leisure. What do we do when we're not at work? What do we do when we're in an unstructured activity? Um, Sometimes our students struggle with finding things they love and enjoy. And so I like to think about my services within that framework. You know, what can we work on for vocation? I created a really cool vocational binder that people love and enjoy. It took me one year. I created it with students that I moved up to the high school, and I was servicing them in ninth grade. And all the vocational materials for, were from 1982. You know, they were very dated, not applicable. And so I created this binder that has, you know, readings, it has comprehension, it has extension activities, so in real life, you can practice, you know talking about working in an office, talk about the vocabulary, answer questions that are comprehension-based, answer questions that are socially-based, and then also ideas for how can you practice this in real life. And and I love that material so, so much. And then Modified Leisure, I love doing things like Modified Uno, which I have a whole video model on my YouTube channel, ABA Speech, about that. I love doing with the kids yoga, standing poses. That's super Super fun. Last year, we got into weightlifting with water bottles and then transitioning to weights for students that were into that. And so, just thinking about the ideas of how can I support vocation? How can I support leisure or social communication? And how can I help my student be as independent as possible with their communication? All right. On to strategy eight, which is analyze data collection. Oh boy, data collection. I have used a variety of data collection methods for my middle school and high school students. Um, I have some students, not many, but are that are using a very traditional ABA type binder where I get their binder and I graph their data. As I take it, as I run a program like a labeling program or answering a, a WH question program, I graph the data right in the binder when I have it. I have other students who I've set up Google Forms for, which I really like to set up a Google Form, which just has the students' IEP goals. I enter information. And then I can send that information from the form to a Google Sheet. So when I do my progress reports, I can look at that sheet and I can see specific information and I can jot it down into the progress. Oh, the progress notes. The progress notes. (sighs) I don't like those. Um, it's a lot, so that's another way that I've taken data. The other thing I wanted to mention, well, another thing I do for group is is cold probe data. So I may have a data sheet that says group, and I might write down what my activities were for the group. So we might start with a question of the day. So I might actually write out what the question of the day was. Then I write down the activities we did: an adapted book, we did an extension activity. This is what we did for modified leisure. And then each student has a goal for group because that's why they're in group. And then I just take data on that first trial where we worked on it. Another thing that I've done for data for some of my students is have them self-monitor, have them do their own data. So we talk about does is self-monitoring mean? How as an adult, I do a lot of self-monitoring myself. I might have a goal of working out three to five times a week, okay? And I might self-monitor that. I might put it on my Google Calendar like I have later today, jog from one to two after all my podcasts and my client. And I try to tell them, this is really just a lifelong skill. It does look at your communication goal and we can self-monitor it either on a chart. I have some students that are graphing their own data really just depends on the student. But I try to just build that deeper knowledge of what self monitoring is and how that can be so very important across the lifespan. Not just with this particular communication goal, but across the lifespan. All right. So number eight is analyze that data collection. So very, very important for our students. Number nine is to go over goals with your students. This is so important and something that I think that we... You know, it's hard to think about all these things. And it is definitely the luxury that I have of seeing a handful of students one-on-one because their disabilities just require that type of support. And so I always try to make sure in the high school level, end of middle school, high school level, I do have the students who are on IEPs. I do have them involved in the IEP meeting. I think that that's very, very important for students because they're on the team. They're the most important member of the team. right? But if I have students who are not yet attending IEP meetings, I do go over what the goals are with them. And I think that's really, really powerful. I do go over it also. And you do need to ask you know, in your, in your own environment, is it okay to share this information with the paraprofessional or the RBT? But para- people that are going to be with the student and supporting them, I want to make sure that they really understand what the goals are and what the vision is. And I always think it's super important. I tell my students, okay, I'm going to have an IEP meeting with your parents next month. Sometimes I have them fill out like a Google form about their experience with speech therapy. You know, is it helping? What's one thing you've learned in speech therapy? What's thing one thing that you do not like about speech therapy? Sometimes I do it in a Google form because I feel like at middle school they may, you know, it depends on the student. They might want to tell you, like, I hate speech. Why am I here? (laughs) Okay. Or they might feel uncomfortable sharing those things verbally. So sometimes writing it in a Google form can be a little bit easier. So I try to think about that for my students. So you gotta just kind of play that by ear. But after the IEP meetings, I always You know, I go over the goals and I say, you know, this is how I'm supporting you. This is what we're working on. You know, you're doing a great job in school, but we know that you're having some difficulty with self-monitoring or regulating yourself in your classrooms. And so when you come to me, we're going to work on some regulation type techniques. We're going to work on your self-advocating for yourself. We're going to practice it here in the therapy room, in the safe spot. I'm going to talk with your teachers. I'm going to observe you in class. I'm going to go to your team meetings and talk about how we can support you in your classroom environments across the day. And I always share that with the students. I share with them how, many time, how much I'm going to see them during the month because I don't want it to be a surprise. You know? And that's the thing. I, with my service delivery and thinking outside the box, I have some students I see every week, twice a week. I have some students that I see twice a month. I have some students that I just check in with quarterly, older students, usually. And I want them to know, this is what your services are. This is what you can expect. And I don't want there to be any um, surprises. So I think that's important. Get your students input. We have to get buy-in from the student. We have to build that relationship, right? That was number one. And we have to get buy-in from our student because this process is really about them. Okay, so that's number nine. Number 10 is to reach out with any questions. I would love to talk with you about resources that we might have at ABA Speech. I have my Vocational Skills Binder, which I've created for students, which are more life skills support. I have my Double Up Vocabulary and Leisure Game, which is great for students who are high support needs or students who are completely immersed in their classes. It's a really cool game that you can differentiate based on level. And the vocabulary looks at leisure vocabulary and hygiene vocabulary, which is so very important for students at this level. And I'm also going to put a link for a discovery call. If you want to email me through the site, if you want to hop on a quick 15-minute call because you have some questions, that you think I could help out with, I would love to be a source of support. If you think that a course down the road would be something that you would be interested in, please let me know that too, because down the line, I would love to create a course about supporting older students. I think there's just not many places to go for that information. So remember to always keep things fun and functional, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode. It was chock full of information that you can use as a middle school and high school speech therapist. So make sure that you subscribe to the podcast, leave a review because I always love hearing from you. And I've been doing something new on the podcast. I've been rounding up a couple main points. Today, I shared 10 main points about being a middle school and high school speech therapist, but I want to wrap up my three key points for you if you're listening to a condensed version of the podcast today. Number one is to build a rapport with your students. That is so very, very important, middle school and high school, and really for all age levels. Number two, think about your service delivery options. Sometimes we need to make sure that we're thinking outside of the box to help our students. And number three is to focus on independence. So whether that means that your student is walking back to their classroom on their own, or whether that means that your student is advocating for their needs and their accommodations across the day, With your structured support, we want to think about helping our students advocate for themselves and be independent on their road to adulthood. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.